Thank you for singing out. Thank you, David, and thank you, Lois, for stepping in uh, to fill in for Mark and Grace. I appreciate uh, how that went without a, a hitch. The one little uh, change of a song worked out just fine, so thank you for that uh, service. We are continuing in the Gospel of John, and we have reached chapter 14. Again, we're, we're in the upper room discourse starting in chapter 13. And in these chapters, we, we're 13 through 21. We are in the, the final week, really, of our Lord's ministry. And so the God, the Holy Spirit, guided John to record some extensive teaching that's not available in, in the other Gospels. Uh, they talk about the Last Supper of our Lord, but, but John uh, fills it out. He fills it out from his own memories of those that night. And he, uh, he fills it out guided by the Holy Spirit. And again, I just, I, have you ever been in a conversation where maybe you're, having, you're talking to someone and it's, you just sense this person is really opening their heart. Uh, this is, I mean, they are really speaking from their heart. And then someone else comes in and it's, it's clear they don't get that. And they're trying to, you know, how about those cowboys or some other depressing theme? You know, they're, they're, and you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, quiet. This guy is, he's sharing his heart. Well, Jesus here at this evening is opening his heart and trying to speak to the hearts of his disciples. And we'll see that they're wrestling. What is this all about? What is going on? And we even see that in the text before us in chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible and as I read. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are some of the most familiar past words, aren't they, of Scripture? In some way, maybe often, these might be quoted at a funeral, but these are such familiar words in many ways. The Lord begins by saying, let not your heart be troubled. That same word for trouble, that stirring up, that churning up of the heart, he himself has expressed. That's, that's what he was experiencing as he, as he thought about the betrayal and what was before him. His heart was troubled. Here he now tells his disciples, literally, stop being troubled. Stop being churned in your heart. Well, what was troubling their hearts at this point? There's at least two things that I can see. One, Jesus has told them he's going the place they cannot follow. Now think about it. For three years, they have been right with Jesus. They've, they've, they've walked up and down Israel. They've gone from village to village, synagogue to synagogue, up and down hills. 
Uh, they've spent three years of their life in his presence, hearing his teaching, serving him. Now, there, there was a season when they were sent out uh, sort of as heralds going to, ahead of him you know, to prepare people to be ready to hear Jesus. But really, they have spent their, they, these years of ministry and close communion. Now he says he's going away, and they can't go with him. That's new, and they're, that, that's, a, that's, that's striking, that's troubling. Why can't we go with you? Verse, chapter 13, verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. What does that mean? Why can't we go with him? Partly, uh, the, the issue is we've been with you this whole time. How can we not be with you? But then the other thing is, all along in this journey towards Jerusalem, Jesus has been talking more and more about the difficulties that are coming, even describing the fact he would be, he would be executed. Remember, just coming back to the area around Jerusalem for Lazarus, uh, the disciples said, don't you realize they were just there ready to stone you? You're going to go back? And it was Thomas that said, well, if he's going, we might as well go with him and die. But now he's saying, I'm going to leave, and you're going to be left in this hostility. What are we going to do without you? So, so what's troubling them is Jesus is going where they cannot follow. And then there's those words, one of them would betray him. And specifically to Peter said, tonight you will, be, you will deny me tonight. In one sense, I'm sure Peter was probably trying to reassure himself, oh, no, you won't. And of course, it's Jesus that was saying he would. The idea of betrayal from one in their midst, you could just see where their, 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 their heads are churning. What is all this? And, and, for, and this is at the end of that week of ministry where there have been a lot of challenges for, from, the, from the Sadducees and from the Pharisees and from others. There's, they're troubled. Their hearts are churning. And Jesus says, stop that. They were listening, and it was bothering them. And so Jesus gives them an alternative. It's it's important, and you notice I especially like the Apostle Paul's writings where so often he'll say, make it clear, put off and put on, kind of like in clothing. You know, maybe some of you guys, maybe even this morning, you put on something and your wife said, put that off and put this on. Um, or, or the kids, maybe you're not saying put off, it's just, would you put on some shoes, please? We'll talk about socks tomorrow. But, but Paul often, stop doing this and stop start doing this and Jesus says stop stop the churning of your heart don't be troubled stop being troubled and instead you believe in God believe also in me and, and you know this word believe um, has the idea not just believing information but but a, a trust it says you trust in God trust in me I, I'll go ahead and admit to you, this, I don't like to get too technical on the Greek and all this too often, but these two, these are verbs, believe, it, it's twice used, believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. It can be either in the, it's either a statement of fact, that's called the indicative mood, 
Or it can be the imperative, the command mood. In Greek, for this verb at this place, um, it would look exactly the same. So which is it? Is he saying, you do believe in God, you do believe in me, or believe in God, believe in me, or I, I think our translation probably is the best alternative. You do believe in God, now command, also believe in me. And, and, and actually, if, if I can twist it just a little bit, in the English language, it's very important to use word order correctly. Um, the ball hit the dog means one thing. The dog hit the ball means another thing. Word order is vital in English. In Greek, it's not so because the forms have their meaning. So you can move them around. And so sometimes if you want to make, uh, put more emphasis on something, you, you can move it around a little bit. And so this is, might be how you could literally, how the Greek looks. You believe in God, also in me believe. And so notice God, me. And again, thinking of, we're so familiar with these words. But can you imagine if I stood before you this morning and said, you believe in God, believe in me also. Oh, it's been too hot and Drake's been out in the yard too long. Poor Drake. What do you mean believe in you like you, we believe in God? How can anyone, how can any human being say that? They can't unless they are also God. You believe in God, in me also. He uses the same language. As you believe in the Father, believe in me. How can he say that? Because he is as much God as the Father is. So there we see, this is, a, this is a, uh, an impossible statement without his being God in the flesh. And so what he's saying is... Um, you do believe in God. Of course they did. They were, they were faithful Jews. Trust, you, you do trust in God. In me also, trust. And so what he's saying in the, in the turmoil of your heart right now, trust in God. Trust in Jesus. And so if I could... Just grab something here before we leave this verse. Notice what, what that has says to us. The answer and the opposite of fear and anxiety is trust in God. And so when you're, you, you start feeling your heart churning, okay? They had some, I've told you what, what had their heart boiling up. Each and every one of us might have a different... You know, some different things that cause our hearts to get troubled. To be the turmoil in our heart. When you sense that. And however that might manifest itself in you. You can feel, you know, one of those times when you start feeling or hearing your heart pounding. Uh, maybe you put on the, you think I better check. Ooh, blood pressure is going crazy. Uh, whatever it might be for you. What's the, what's the answer? I think the same way what our Lord taught or told our disciples. The, the opposite and the aid to anxiety and fear is trust. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah 26.3. Um, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind 
is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And we sing that song, stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are truly blessed. In other words, we, that, that idea of stayed, grounded, firmly placed. When we're firmly grounded in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have p- perfect peace. Going over to the New Testament, a parallel passage would be Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving is an expression of trust. You're thanking God that he's in control. When you take out that thanksgiving, you're just saying, Hey, things are bad. What am I going to do? With Thanksgiving says, things are bad. I'm giving it to you. And I'm I'm trusting you to handle it rightly. Let your requests be made known to God. In verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And he uses the language of being garrisoned. Uh, being protected. God will build a fort of peace around your heart and mind. How? When we, when we give our anxious concerns to him. And so Jesus said, stop being troubled. Trust in the Father. Trust in me. And then our Lord gives him some promises. And, and you'll see some promises throughout the chapters before us he says in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also again familiar words aren't they in my father's house are many mansions He's, he's seeking to comfort them, and the way to comfort them is to speak of, of heaven. He's been talking about his departure. I, I'm leaving you. He now talks about where he's going. His father's house. That expression, my father's house, shows two things. One, his father's house, again, it's... it's you know, he's part, you know, it just shows his intimacy with the Father and, and his deity. You know, he, he is God also. It's my Father's house. But sometimes when we speak of heaven, a lot of times it, it just seems like a, a concept. Um, something, you know, kind of a theological term maybe. I don't know. Sometimes heaven can have kind of a... Uh, a, a stale or, or insignificant meaning. It shouldn't, but it can. I remember reading the account of someone that said, you know, when he was growing up and he'd become a Christian and he heard about heaven and, oh, heaven was where all those angels lived and they played harps and he never really thought that much about it. And then as he got older and older, some of his loved ones started going to heaven. And some close family members even young ones. And after a while, he found himself thinking more about heaven than about this place. But sometimes heaven is just that that foreign concept. So I think it's significant how our Lord 
challenges that by saying, it's my father's house. It doesn't have a different sound. Heaven almost sounds institutional. I'm sorry about it. Um, or we could talk even about the, the new Jerusalem, okay, a city, and, and talk about this, what the characteristics of the city. Boy, nowadays, cities don't have such a good reputation, do they? Uh, when I think of dwelling places in cities, my, the picture that comes to my mind is tents on the sidewalk. Uh, that, that doesn't do much for me. My father's house. That almost kind of evokes memories. Maybe, you, you know, you, maybe some of you can think about going to see your grandparents in their house. When you think of a house, you know, when you think of a heaven, it, again, it almost sounds like hospital sterile. House. You ever walk in a house and, you, and, and just the fragrance from the oven comes to you? I've heard of people trying to sell their home. One of the advice some realtor gave was, when you're trying to sell your home, put an oven, put an, put an onion in the oven. It just sounds like, just make it smell like homemade cooking, you know. But there's that sense of home. My father's house. Now, I've been kind of speaking of the term heaven in a negative way. But when we think heaven, think our father's house. I read about one believer in another country that whenever he talked about someone who had died, he said, but he's in the father's house now. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound different? He's in the father's house. You know what the father's house also says to me? It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's a place we belong. Going home is, is, a, is, is such a, 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 a more comforting feeling. And so as he's, as he's speaking to them, don't be troubled. Trust the father. You do trust the Father. Trust me just as you trust the Father. Because where I'm going is I'm going home. I'm going home. Uh, the word, many mansions, and some of you will notice in different translations, dwelling places. Okay, let's be honest. Which sounds more attractive to you? Mansion, dwelling place. Technically, the word which that's translated mansion, uh, just literally means a place of abiding, a place of, of dwelling. But again, that kind of has a sterile sound, doesn't it? When I, when I hear dwelling place, um, my, my, my house has many dwelling places, my mind goes back to a dormitory. And those aren't warm thoughts of what a cozy place. It was kind of a small cubicle of survival. That just doesn't hit us. I looked up the word mansion in the Oxford Old Oxford English Dictionary. That's a great resource because they tell you where did this word start showing up? What did it first mean? Where did it come from? And it comes from the Latin word, which is very much like what the Greek word means, a dwelling place. When we think of mansion, we think of a grand house on a, on a massive estate surrounded by beautiful hedges and green lawns. So obviously not in Texas in the summer. But mansion. Um, so maybe not, you know, and so some kind of almost get the picture. Or, am I going to get my own mansion on my own estate? Uh, is that how it works? Rather, the picture here is, is, is a large dwelling place with, with every one of us having rooms in it. The royalty seem to have been in the news a lot lately, the coronation of the king in, in, in London and, 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 and such. And have you ever noticed how big some of their their palaces are? They're, they're, they're rather large. And so you'll hear sometimes, well, this part of the family 
they have they have a portion of that house. You, some of those homes, you look at they, they go over on the helicopter and think you could probably go months and not see the other residents. That's more the picture, not just not a dorm room in a in a drab building. Um, the dorm I stayed in in seminary that's been torn down since it was it had previously been a white WCA and they abandoned it and then I lived there with the, with the other guys so no, it's, but not that but think of these palaces and a suite of rooms it's in the father's home and so it's, it, it is a lovely thought it's a beautiful place and frankly being in a suite of rooms we're, we're we're, with, we're living with the Father. We're, we're going to have a part in the Father's home. And so he, he goes on to say, if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, I'm going, but the point is, I could have left it at that, but, but I'm going. And, and, and there's room for you. There's room for you, or I would have told you otherwise. I'm not leaving you forever. You're coming too. He goes on to say, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. As I read that and reread that, it, the, the picture that comes to mind is, is the picture of a Jewish wedding. And I have a feeling that's probably what he's trying to communicate. Uh, the weddings of the Jewish period were different from ours. Uh, it began with the fathers getting together and, and, and agreeing that um, uh, this would be a, 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 a good ag- arrangement. And so that might have been in, in youth. You know, you think about a village, and one of the benefits is, you know, you, your family knows each other's family, and you can kind of judge on families. And so our kids, when they grow up, they'll, they'll get married. And then later on, there would be a, a betrothal. And that was a formal a ceremony that basically had the equi- legal equivalence of marriage without uh, living together. But it was a binding, and so if you wanted to, it's, so it's kind of like our engagement, but different. Because a betrothal, you need a divorce to cancel a betrothal. Um, in our set, you just need a refund on the ring to cancel an engagement. And so in this betrothal, there the uh, father of the of the groom would pay a price to the bride, showing the value of that bride, bride price. And then about a year later, they would get married. Two things had to happen during that time. The young man would get busy preparing a home for the bride, whether he's buying it or actually building it himself. And it might be, and typically in, in the rural and in the agricultural part of Israel, that would mean on the father's property, and they would be, you know, kind of share in the in the in the work on the on the land. It might be, especially in the city, it might be they would add rooms to a house, knock out a couple of doors and add rooms to it. But but the young man would be busy about preparing a house. His father is watching that, and when when he senses the 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 son is ready, then he says, "Go get your bride." She knows it's about a year, but the point is, she doesn't know exactly when he's coming. We get these things, you know, save the date. Didn't work that way. 
It's just, but the word would come. John's coming. And the bride would have to be, you know, ready to go. And he would come and it would be a big celebration. He would take the bride back to his father's house. And that's where the wedding would happen. Following the wedding, they would have a, a feast, a celebration. Often could go seven days. So some of you fathers of girls, think if, if you thought a two-hour reception was rough. Okay, think of a week. So, so that's the picture. He says, I am going to prepare a place. And so, so watch the parallels, and many have showed this. Isn't that interesting? The father selects the bride. Um, in some parts of the world, that, 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 that still happens. I remember visiting with uh, the mother of one of my friends one time, a Chinese family, and, and it was fascinating to me to, to meet this lady, and, and, and she said, you know, we were talking about this kind of stuff, and she said, oh, yes, I, I met my husband at the wedding. Which wedding? Our wedding. <laughs> you met your husband when you married him? Yes. Needless to say, I had a lot of questions. How does that work? And she said, you learn to love. She was happily married, had a family. We hear that, and it's almost, let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> Especially if you're that young person. But, but the father would pay a price for the bride. Does that sound kind of like a parallel? Our father paid a price by giving his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's the price. You've been bought with a price, not cheap gems and gold, the precious blood of the son. You've been bought with a price. And then, after he came and, and paid the price, the groom leaves to prepare a place. And when the father says it's time, he sends the son, go get your bride and bring her home. That's the rapture. When the son comes back for the bride and brings her home to his father's house. The wedding takes place in heaven and then the banquet during the millennial kingdom. If you read in the gospels, you'll see reference to the, like a marriage feast in, in the kingdom. So when Jesus says, I, I go to prepare a place for you, there's the, that's the theme, that's the idea. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm the groom, I'll be coming back. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Um, some people, again, take this passage and say this is referring to what happens when you die. But, but, and so this, so, but that you know, would say that the Bible's teaching here that when we die, Jesus comes for us. You don't see that in the scriptures. One passage that comes to mind is in Luke chapter um, 16. Remember Lazarus and the rich man, not the Lazarus of, of Bethany, but Lazarus, the, the poor beggar. Uh, the, in, in chapter 16, it says, you know, he died and angels took him to paradise. As opposed to the rich man who just died and went to torment. The idea being, uh, as God's chosen ones, as God's saved ones, we get, a, we get a glorious escort. 
Uh, we're not here in chapter Luke 16 right now, but it seems to me that what that's indicating is, I don't know if it's true of every case, but it seems like uh, what that's saying is that at the moment of death, God sends an escort, an angelic escort to bring us home. And so, but not Jesus. But to come and bring us home to heaven, that's exactly the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18 and other passages. I will come, but notice he, to, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And so he's emphasizing here, what's the most glorious thing about heaven? You know, some talk about the golden street, so that would be amazing. I remember hearing a story of someone that, um, he, you know, that whole thing, you can't take it with you. Well, he told his people, when I die, I want my money all converted to gold, put it in the casket. Well, somehow God gave an exception to him, and he was actually allowed to bring his gold with him. So he shows up in heaven with these buckets of gold, and the angels are saying, what, what's with all the paving stones? <laughs> you know, that stuff's old. That's, you know, the gold streets, the pearly gates, the gems. It's worthy of God's glory. Oh, that will be glory to me. When by your grace I look on the gold, I look on your face. The greatest beauty of heaven is then we will look in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible also talks, and it's I love how the Bible, especially you see this in the Old Testament, when a believer dies, he was gathered to his people. Now, the secularists want to say that's a reference to taking the body and bones to the, the family tomb and such. Gathered to his people is a reference to the fact that uh, the saints are already there. And we'll, we'll be reunite, we'll, we'll be united or reunited with. When I say, re, I'm not sure I count reunited with Abraham. It'll be great, you know, to meet some of these people. Uh, and you know, imagine shaking his hand and saying, do I call you Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them. But no, do we, you know, do we, what, what will that be like? I don't know. But the biggest thing of all is, imagine going to a concert your very favorite musician playing your very favorite music. And I'm in a panic. There's all kinds of pictures in your mind. Some, there's this, this, this um, stuff is coming off the stage. My eardrums are already hurting. Some of you, you see Yo-Yo Ma sweetly speaking to, and, and everywhere in between. You're going to hear your favorite musician with some friends. Imagine all through the concert, they're chatting in your ear. Would you please stop? I'm listening to Yo-Yo Ma in person. Front row. Hush. I'm not saying we're going to want to hush our brethren, but you know what will thrill us the most is there's Jesus. There's Jesus. And my brothers and sisters in Jesus. But he says, you will be with me. That same expression, that that same word of with, is used right back in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, 
And the word was with God. It has the idea of face to face. In heaven, we will be with Jesus. It will be not the place, but the person. Thinking about that, I'm remembering when uh, I took Barb to our first home. Uh, we were renting an apartment in Dallas. And um, we were going to get married up in Massachusetts. And so uh, I, you know, got, we had chosen an apartment. And uh, they were supposed to get it ready. And it was my job to kind of make sure everything was there and move things from both our places to that apartment. And we kept struggling. I kept saying, have you painted it yet? No. Have you painted it yet? No. Have you painted it yet? No. And I said, well, I've got to leave. And finally, I had to just bring all our, everything we had and pile it in the center of a room so they could paint the apartment. And so I did the romantic thing when I, we came back to our home. Um, I opened the door and carried her in. And I could only go two feet before we hit boxes. <laughs> welcome home <laughs> but what made it beautiful was with whom we would we would share our home that's what made it home not the pile of boxes in the middle of the room what will be beautiful about heaven is you'll be with me Jesus said you'll be with me he goes on to describe that, discuss that in verses 4 to 6 where I go you know the way And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? So here's something of a suggestive thought. Not only is he going, they know the way. Thomas, to me, asks a very reasonable question. How can we know the way if we don't know where we're going? Have you ever seen someone that just decides to head out on a trip and then decide where am I going? Now, sometimes we used, to, we used to travel to the northeast. We knew we were going, but what would we see along the way? Sometimes we picked that out as we went. Some of you young people, there's a, an ancient device called a triptych. If you belong to AAA, they would map out all the things. And we would go through there and figure out what can we see along the way. But we knew our destination. If you say, I'm going on a trip, and I ask you where, and you say, well, I don't really know, but I'm going on a trip. Something's missing here. And so what, when Jesus says, you know the way, wait a minute, how can I know the way if I don't know where I'm going? By the way, that is such a vital issue in life. What should I be doing with my life? Where are you trying to get to? Okay. If I, my, my greatest ambition is to, to be a lawyer. That suggests to me you're going to have to go to law school. And to go to law school, you have to go to college. You know, so, so your destination guides your path. Um, some of you know the, the commentator, uh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, I saw a YouTube recently of him playing, I think at 11 years old, playing a, a violin, uh, Schindler's, the, the theme of Schindler's List. And they introduced him by saying, this young man is so old, and his ambition is to be the first Orthodox rabbi to sit on the Supreme Court. Okay, he knew where he wanted to be, so that tracked he's going to need to take a certain path, Right? If you, and so Jesus is saying, um, where I go, you know the way. And Thomas says, but I don't know where we're going. How can I know the way? The Lord responds with a powerful statement that is well known. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Gospel of John, there are seven key I am statements. And we talked about the fact I am is actually the name of God in the Old Testament. But there are seven times where Jesus will say I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. But just in passing, let me notice that your text should reflect what's in the Greek. The way, the, the article is there. The way, the truth, the life. He's telling Thomas it's not a root or a method he needs. It's a person. I am the way. Every religion out there has some way of getting to the good part of the afterlife. You call it different things. Uh, they, but, but everybody's got a way. What do you do to get there? Every religion has some discussion about this is what you do to get there. In one sense, every religion has the same answer. You earn it. You work for it. What does that look like in this religion or that religion? That might vary a little bit. But essentially, you work. And how do I know when I've done enough? You don't. You, you, just, you just get at it. And, and the, but there's a method. There is a way. Jesus says, I am the way. Not here is the way of things. You know, let me lay out for you the things you need to do. He says, I it's a person, not a plan, not a method. He calls us to himself. He, it's, it's in a relationship with, if we're with him, we're on the way. Again, if I could use an illustration of my, of Barb, between Barb and me, now we use more advanced technology. We use G, a GPS-type device, different apps on the phone, right? And, and sometimes I'll say, do I turn here, do I turn there? You know, and, and, um, and, and, and her counsel is pretty universally the same. You just stay on the purple line. If you just stay on the purple line, you're doing fine. Because <laughs> I'm also, well, do I turn here? Look at the purple line. <laughs> stay on the purple line. And what, and, and, and that what Jesus is saying is, I'm the purple line. I am the, I am the way. It's not a method. It's, it's, in being, it's in being related to Christ. If I'm with Christ, I'm on the way. He also says he is the truth. I've been teaching world religions for like 25 years. More, actually. Um, and, and one of the things I, I say early on in the class and emphasize, in every religion, one of the things you should be asking that religion is, where do you get your truth? Quotes. In other words, where do you get your ideas? You know, and different religions will have different answers. In Islam, it's the Quran. In Hinduism, there's lots of things you could say. The Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita. Um, the Buddhists would say the teachings of the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, or, or, or. You know, but what are, where do you get your truth? Of course, in Judaism, the Torah and the rabbis. In, 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 the, in biblical Christianity, the Bible. That's where we get our truth. What Jesus has noticed first, he says, I am the truth. The truth. There are not several truths. There are not several ways. I am the way to God. I am the truth. So what that is telling us, 
And it's not just right information. It's not just having the right answers about who Jesus is. He's God. He's man. Born in Bethlehem. Da, 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 da. It's not just having information, but knowing him. It's, it's knowing not about him, but knowing him. That's vital. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Again, we live in a world that's, you hear the expression, this is my truth. What does that mean? Uh, this is my way. Jesus says there is the way, there is the truth, and there is the life. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. There's no eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. Like again, as I said, all three of them, it's the way, the truth, the life. And then, in case we miss the point, I am the way, the truth, the life. He then restates his point. No one comes to the Father but by me. Someone may say to you, well, you have your way, I have my way. Jesus would say, there's only one way. You're either with Jesus or you're not. There is no other way. Tragically, there are some who, there are many of religion and many who will stand in pulpits and claim to, you know, to be teaching the Christian religion, but say, oh, all paths lead to God. Just be sincere. You know, live up to what you know. Do your best. That's not what Jesus is saying. If you are not in an eternal, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. Oh, see, there you are boasting again. No, that's not boasting. That's humbling. I cannot do it on my own. I'm trusting in him. He does it. He has done it. He's accomplished it. The price is paid. But he makes it clear there's only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. If you have not yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, hear what Jesus is saying. He is the only way. You will, there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. All your good works, all your morality, all your justice, whatever it may be, it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that you have eternal life. That's, that's what Jesus says. So hear the words of Jesus. There is no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. It's singular. It's exclusionary. Only one way. If you have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you, Jesus says, you, will, you, you are not in a saving relationship with God. In fact, your relationship with God is he will be your judge. And so I urge you, if you have yet to believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. To us as believers, don't be confused by the, the confusion of our society. Many ways, many truths. There's only one way. Jesus says there is only one truth. Jesus says there's only one life, Jesus says. I've sometimes referred to an older Bible, Bible teacher named H.A. Uh, Ironside, Harry Ironside. He wrote this. I remember one day leaving Los Angeles by train to go to San Diego. 
Shortly after we passed Fullerton, my attention was directed to an altercation going on near me. I, I had observed a little old lady who got on at the station some miles back. My attention was drawn to her because of the great number of bundles she had carried. In one hand, she had a cage, evidently containing a parrot, some kind of package held by one finger, a grip, and a bag. But she got in and put them all down about her, filled the entire space where she sat. She was nicely settled when the conductor came around and said, Tickets, please. She handed him her ticket. And he said, Madam, this is not your train. Your ticket calls for San Bernardino. You are on the train that goes to San Diego. You're going in the wrong direction. You needn't tell me that, she replied. I asked a man before I got on. He told me that this train was going to San Bernardino. He said, I am sorry, but you've been the victim of some wrong information, for this train is going to San Diego. I don't believe it, she said. I bought this ticket in good faith, and I have taken the train they told me to take. Pardon me, he replied, but I am the conductor on this train, and it's going to San Diego. If you want to go to San Bernardino, you will have to get off and take a train back. Finally, as the train drew near to the next stop, she gathered up her parrot, her packages and bags. By the way, do you recognize a, a the, the details of a first-hand account? Declaring that this was an outrage and that she would report it to the company and have the conductor discharged for putting her off the train. She left while the rest of the passengers smiled even though they felt sorry for her. It is not true that if you take a train going north, you will land somewhere in the south. If I could put it in more modern, this isn't rocket science, is it? It is not true that if you are on the road leading to everlasting judgment, you will reach heaven. Quote, The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. It makes we think, of course, what, what's wrong with this woman thinking you can be wrong about that? And notice, well, I was, she was so sincere, and she believed someone had told her, isn't that such a perfect problem? There are many a person that are thoroughly convinced they're on the way to heaven because someone told them that's the way to do it. You say these prayers, you do these deeds, Maybe you offer this incense, whatever it may be. And how tragically, though sincerely intended, how tragically they are heading in the wrong direction. The problem is the lady asked the wrong person, didn't she? I have shared with you what Jesus says. Not what I think, but what Jesus says. Jesus said he is the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. If you find yourself right now on the train going in the wrong direction, get off and turn to Christ. Our Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who made the way, who paid the price. Thank you, Father, for the assurance that he's coming back for us to bring us home to you. Lord, I pray if any here have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, open their eyes. 
As we hear these truths so clearly proclaimed and our thoughts turn to others, we pray for them, Father. Open their eyes to give up self-trust and to trust in you. For I ask all this in Jesus' name.